1: If you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 74. I feel like I came
2: alive the day I came out, and my family has missed the happiest years of my life.
1: Amber Cantorna is an author, speaker, blogger, musician, and a leader in the movement of acceptance and inclusion for LGBTQ plus Christians. With a passion for helping LGBTQ plus people through their coming out processes, she focuses especially on those that come from conservative faith communities. Uh, Amber was on the podcast in episode 20 talking about her book, Refocusing My Family. It was her memoir of growing up as the daughter of an executive at Focus on the Family and uh, her her coming out story uh, shattering the the persona that her family had tried to uphold uh, in the conservative world. Uh, As a result of that, she lost everything. Her world changed. And that kind of makes her the perfect person to write her new book that is out today, available everywhere now, Unashamed, A Coming Out Guide for LGBTQ Christians. It is truly a guide for coming out uh, for people who grew up in faith communities. Uh, It's the guide that I wish I had had. So we're talking about that today. Uh, So excited to have Amber back on the podcast. This is always a pleasure. Uh, Before we dive in, like I mentioned last week, for Lent this year, I've joined with the team over at Generous Space Ministries uh, and Q Christian Fellowship, a bunch of other organizations for the Tell Your Pastor campaign we're asking people to commit to telling their pastors or priests or church leadership that they're affirming sometime during Lent. Uh, This is especially for people who are straight. Give up fear and silence for Lent. Tell your church leadership that you're affirming uh, and start making some change in in your faith community. For more information about that, there are links in the show notes. Uh, It's a really cool project, so go check that out. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in. Amber, hi, welcome back. Good morning. It's so good to have you back on Queerology.
2: Always love chatting with you.
1: So, so you just, I mean, your new book just came out today. Congratulations. Thank you. We're super excited. Yeah. And we'll like, we'll get into all of that. But, um, I mean, before we do that, Uh, The question I ask everyone, even though you've already been on the podcast, sometimes these things change, um, but how do you identify? And how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity?
2: Uh, I would identify as gay. My wife and I have been married for almost five years. And I would identify probably as a progressive Christian at this point. I think that's something that's forever evolving for those of us that come from a conservative background, but, um, but I think that's probably where I most likely land at this point.
1: I I feel like that's so true. It's always yeah. evolving. I
2: <laughs> feel like it's always evolving, and I think that that's okay. You know, like, um, but it, it is definitely a process that I don't know that you ever truly arrive at.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I feel like like I feel like your book kind of taps into that a little bit. Like your book is is unashamed a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians. I, I'd, like I'd love to hear a little bit about like. What has prompted you to write this book? And then, like that idea of like we're kind of always becoming or, or like things continue to shift as we go on? I, I feel like that ties in really well <laughs> to this book,
2: yeah. Well, it really was this book kind of stemmed from the hundreds of people that I met when I went on tour for my previous book, refocusing my family. Um, I never dreamed to write a second book so quickly. Um, And it just kind of all came together. um, As I heard the stories of others have I heard um, you know, stories that were very much like mine, you know. It's uh I don't think your father has to have worked at focus on the family for you to be very um indoctrinated by those beliefs and that culture. And so I heard from people all over the world with similar backgrounds and similar stories that were uh very desperate for a story that they could relate to. And um so as I as I told my story and I spoke with people, I kept hearing the same questions come up over and over and over, um, you know, things like, how do I know if I'm ready to come out? Um, you know, I, I I know that I'm gay and I know that I'm Christian, but now what? You know, um, what if I'm in ministry? What if my parents are in ministry? Uh, what if the person I'm dating isn't out yet? You know, and it, it just was like this kind of revolving door of the same loop of questions over and over. And as I heard those things, I kind of realized, we've got some great resources for those people that are coming from the conservative background in terms of being able to reconcile their faith with their sexuality. But then we don't have things to equip them of what to do from there, of where to go and how to navigate that process moving forward. Um, That coming out process, that's, you know, something we never expected or anticipated to do. And so this is that book of being able to take them further into that and talk about what that means to be an LGBT person of faith and how to navigate that journey.
1: This is so needed because like like you mentioned all of these questions. And I think these, these are questions that I think anyone who has come out and kind of gone on this journey in any form of a public way, like not necessarily having a podcast or a book, but just like on Facebook, like I feel like so many of us get those questions of people who are still in the closet or trying to figure out what to do and... I feel like your book has taken everything that I tell people and then and more. (laughs) It's so good.
2: Well, I try to take a very holistic approach, you know, that starts with the idea of internalized homophobia and where that comes from and how it kind of takes root in our lives and being able to dismantle that and then accept yourself. Because until you've done that, you really can't... you really can't come out and you really can't get to a place of wanting other people to accept you if you haven't accepted yourself. And so we talk about all those things. And then we talk about um, how to know if you're ready to come out and ways of doing that. And then, you know, boundaries and what that looks like in a healthy way and how to grieve loss and rejection and how to avoid projecting that rejection onto God and and really celebrate who you are and the place that you have in the family of God.
1: You mentioned internalized homophobia and that I feel like like you said, is the starting place of trying to figure out what is within me and how do I work with that and and yeah. learn to accept and love myself. I'd love to hear a little bit more about maybe some of that process in your own life and and what you've learned in, in working with this.
2: Yeah, I was actually a little intimidated to broach that topic because I feel like it's something that's not been discussed a lot yet and not, you know, and not done really well. And so I felt like, you know, am I the one to really take this on? Um, and yet I feel like you really have to start there. You really can't, um, you really can't go anywhere else until you talk about, um, where that shame comes from. And for most of us, that starts from our childhood because, you know, unless you're adopted, you see your family reflect reflected in um, in your physical traits and your character attributes. you know, maybe you have your dad's eyes or your mother's laugh. and so you see your family reflected and that's where you get your sense of belonging. Um, but for LGBT people, the majority of us do not see ourselves reflected um, in that way in our immediate families. And so we see straight couples as the norm. And therefore, um, whether it's spoken or subtle, those things that communicate to us that that is not okay, not an acceptable way to be, um, are heard from the time that we are very young. And we internalize that. And until we get to the point where we can start recognizing um both subtle and obvious forms of homophobia in our lives and, and call it for what it is, we continue to accept that by default and it takes root in our lives and plant seeds of shame. And so it's really important to be able to recognize where that comes from and and where it is currently even still in our own lives before we can really take steps forward to accepting ourselves for who God made us to be. So it really is a, it's a big, it's a big topic, um, but I th- feel like it's one that's super important to really start at and kind of have as your foundation in order to move forward in a healthy way
1: you mentioned like calling it by its name um i feel like even though yes it's a starting point internalized homophobia is something that i know i still wrestle with like it's mm-hmm, something that continues mm-hmm. on and yeah. it's, it gets maybe more and more subtle as we go along But like you said, it's sometimes really hard to name it as homophobia. Right. I'd be curious, like, how are you defining homophobia? And then how do we learn to recognize it?
2: Yeah, I think you're right that it comes in um, both very subtle and obvious ways. You know, it's not necessarily always, um, you know, maybe you're walking down the street holding your partner's hand and somebody says a slur of some kind or, or says um, something derogatory towards you. It's not necessarily always that, right? Sometimes it's very subtle in the ways that, um, maybe your family won't call you by your, um, preferred pronouns, or maybe, um, maybe they won't acknowledge your loved one at, uh, the holidays. Maybe they, maybe you even bring them along, but they introduce them as a friend. Um, those are all ways of just very subtly, uh, communicating that who you are is not okay. um, in the book, I define homophobia as the unreasonable fear held by straight cisgender people towards the LGBT community. Um, but then as we talk about internalized homophobia, um, I define it as that innate belief that your sexual orientation or gender identity makes you undeserving or, or inferior or unequal of a place in society, um, that you're not enough and are instead rendered unlovable by other people and that you're unacceptable in the eyes of God and i think that that is something that takes a root in all of us that come from that kind of conservative faith background um and and, and like you said uh, we continue to to deal with that in even more and more subtle ways in our life but it doesn't mean that it's not there and i think it's important to be able to kind of recognize that um in the instances when it does come up and name it because if we don't we continue to kind of let that seep into our being um in the core of who we are rather than if we're able to name it we can reject it and say no that's not that's not who i am that's not who god made me to be
1: you're mentioning god you you kind of have a whole chapter on on learning how to not project rejection project rejection <laughs> <laughs> on on to god cuz i cause I think that that's something, especially for those of us who grew up in conservative worlds, like we're told ultimately that it's God who doesn't approve of us. And so that, that projection starts from other people first. Mm-hmm. And then so mm-hmm. we have to like unlearn that and yeah. then relearn stuff about who we believe God is. That's such a huge thing to do. It
2: is. It is. And I think too, you know, the biggest thing I tell people is that you have to be able to decipher um, what people do to you and say to you in the name of God from who God is and 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 put a defining line between those two. You have to be able to separate who God really is from what people are doing to you in the name of God. And not that that's always easy to do, you know, but I think the more that we um, uh, put ourselves in a healthy place and surround ourselves with healthy people, Um, that are on a spiritual walk similar to our own. I think that's what really strengthens us, which is why I put such an emphasis, um, in this book on finding an affirming community. Um, because I think that really grounds you. You're not going to grow and really discover who you are in the family of God if you're surrounding yourself by people who tell you that God hates you and you're going to hell. You know, you have to surround yourself with people who are, um, who are affirming you, who are loving you, who are helping you Discover all that God wants you to be.
1: I know. For me, when I was first coming out, I was really scared of affirming communities because mm-hmm. I was afraid that they would lead me away from God. That right. they had accepted what I called at the time wishy-washy interpretations mm-hmm. of scripture. Mm-hmm. That I, I'd love to hear maybe like from your personal story, kind of what that like. I, I know you got into it the last time we talked, but. Uh, just a little bit, but that journey for you of finding an affirming community made a huge impact in your life.
2: It did. And I I think you're right, because I held that same fear. I think a lot of us do, because we're taught that anything other than what we've been raised in is bad. And so we're Thinking that, well, if we get into an affirming community, maybe they water down the scriptures or maybe we're just justifying our way of life or reading, you know, reading the Bible the way we want to read it. And and so all those things were a huge part of um, my own fears in my own heart. And uh, yet for me, I got to such a negative place um, about the story I was telling myself about who I was, uh, that it was just leading to very Negative things in my life. I was very depressed. I had a lot of anxiety. I was having nightmares. I was um, using self injury as a form of just survival. Um, it, and it was just a very dark place. And that is not good fruit. You know, when you talk about good fruit and bad fruit in your life, um, the bad fruit that was happening in my life was far outweighing um, the good fruit. And so I had to look at that and say, this is something that I have to wrestle with. I can't just ignore it. It's not going to go away. Um, I have to really look this in the face because if not, it's going to be the thing that kills me. And that was terrifying for me because I didn't want to justify my way of life. I didn't want to just water down the scriptures. Um, I was just as afraid, um, that I was just as afraid that I would find out that God was not affirming of same sexual relationships as to find out that God, um, was because I knew that either way, my life was going to change and that it would never be the same again. And I think that that fear of the unknown, um, was what really scared me. Uh, but I just reached this point where I, I had to do something different than what I was doing. And so for me, um, I, I just got on and did this like Google search of, you know, gay affirming churches and I didn't even know if that was possible at that time because I was so sheltered. I had never been exposed to something like that, that was, um, you know, that was credible. And so um, I didn't know if that even existed. And yet I knew I had to try. And when I did a church um, in Denver, which was, you know, about an hour away from where I lived at the time, uh, popped up and I just reached out to the pastor and poured out my heart because I didn't know what else to do and sent it off into cyberspace and um i never expected to actually get a response i don't think because it came from a fourteen thousand mega person church that you just you know you send stuff off into cyberspace and you never get it back um but it was only a couple of hours later before i heard from the pastor the warmest most welcoming response and Um, just inviting me to come and to, to visit and to check it out and letting me know I was welcome there and saying, I'll, I'll connect you with other people that'll sit with you and take you to lunch and show you around. And, um, and he did. And so I went and I was so terrified because I didn't know what I was going to find when I got there, you know? Um, But when I showed up, like everybody looked just like me, you know? Um, And I think that was really surprising to me. I had this like I don't know what I envisioned in my head, but like there was no like drag queens or people making out in the foyer or like, you know, these preconceived notions that you build up in your mind. Um, These people were just normal people that were very much like me and um, very much wanting to love God and love their partner. And, um, I met people that had done that for 25, 30 years with their same-sex partner or spouse. And and there was no conflict between um, their love for God and their love for their partner. And I just remember thinking, like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it was a turning point for me that day. Like, I came home and I wrote in my journal, like, I've reached the point of no return. Like, I could feel like I had reached that point in my spirit where there was no going back. And so it was really a defining time for me to, to find that affirming community. And it really was what carried me through, um, the months ahead when I came out to my family and, and, um, you know, the loss, the devastating loss that I encountered and all that, it really was that affirming community that held me through that time, which is why I advocate so strongly for people to have that, um, because it, it makes such a huge difference in, in how you navigate, um, that that process of coming out in, in, in how you handle the, the loss.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, that feels so crucial mm-hmm. um, because I, I think coming out, like I, I know one thing, like you mentioned this in your book and this is something that I tell people often when they're wanting to come out is like, make sure you're safe and mm-hmm. make sure you have a community mm-hmm. around you before, before you, you come out yep. because the, the potential, Unfortunately, in in this church world, is like you will lose a lot. Yeah, um, I, I, you you have a whole chapter on this idea of "I love you," but like the the <laughs> the response that is so common from a lot of churches, a lot of parents, a lot of people within faith communities that 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 quote unquote loving response. We love you so much, but. Um, Could you talk about that? Because that's, that's a response that feels kind of warm and fuzzy, but at the same time, just like a really heavy blow. Like, it's such a weird position to be put in getting that response.
2: Yeah. And I think what it really boils down to is conditional love. Um, You know, we're taught that God loves us unconditionally and that, you know, my parents would say, well, we love you unconditionally. But when it came down to it, there actually was conditions and caveats attached to their love. You know, we love you, but, um, you know, I don't support your marriage or we love you, but agreeing to disagree is the same as condoning your behavior. And that's something I will never do. You know, all these buts attached, um, the door will, or or if, you know, they would say um, the door is always open if you ever want to come back to Jesus and come back to us. You know, so those caveats of like, we love you but there's something about you that's not right and you need to fix this. And so it's not truly unconditional love. There really is conditions attached to that. And I think accepting that is one of the hardest things because it's so painful to think that um, there's something so bad with you or so wrong about who you are that you're unlovable, you know, and that grappling with that conditional love, um, I think is something that a lot of us have to do if we come from a conservative faith background. And that's, again, why that affirming community is so important to kind of um, buffer that and say, we love you unconditionally, no matter what, no matter what your background is, no matter who you love, no matter how you identify, we love you, we embrace you, we celebrate you. Um, and, and I think that's why this last week's decision on the UMC church was so devastating to so many people, too, because it was just reinforcing, again, um, who you are is not acceptable in the eyes of God. Um, or really, you know, what, what they, they, they projected on God, but really it's in the eyes of us, too. You know, like, we're, we don't accept who you are. And so I think that's been so devastating to so many people because they call that their home and they were hoping for a movement forward. And this feels like a massive blow backwards. Um, and, and it's just very it's a hard thing to to grapple with 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 um feeling unlovable um for who you are or for who you love
1: right I, I, like I feel like that highlights some of the complexity in that because I think w- like with our parents, with our faith communities like we have experienced love from them a lot of us know what that love feels like and it's it's so hard to then name that love isn't enough. That love isn't mm-hmm, what mm-hmm, I need. Mm-hmm. Like, to to take that step and to almost, like, it can feel like we're betraying them by saying, no, you say you love me, but this isn't love. Mm-hmm. And it's it so hard to hold that tension.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because it, it ends up feeling like lip service, you know? Like, there was times that Um, my, my mom would send me a birthday card, but instead of the, you know, really sweet written note of how proud we are and how much we love you, it would just like have their signature and there'd be like no return address. So it almost felt like they were like checking off a box on their to-do list of like, well, I did my part and now it's on her to, you know, to, to come back to us. Um, and that was really hard to grapple with, too. It's like, do you, uh, what do you do with that? Do I want them to send me a card? Would I rather not get anything? Like, what, you know, like the mixed emotions that come with that of the feelings that it brings up is so complicated as well.
1: I feel like that brings us to this idea of grief and the idea of aching hearts is, is what you call it, like the deep pain that comes alongside some of these choices we have to make in order to be able to live healthy and and thriving lives. They also hurt Mm -hmm. really deeply.
2: Yeah. And I can't say that we're the only ones that are even hurting, you know, like our families are hurting too. Um, And yet, uh, you know, you do have to protect yourself. I think the most important thing throughout this the theme of this whole book is safety, physical safety, emotional safety, spiritual safety. Um, You know, so many of these things, the, the reason I advocate the way that I do is because these people are not only being pushed out of, um, you know, they're being pushed out of the church, but it's, it's not only causing physical suicide, but it's causing spiritual suicide. You, You know, so many LGBT people are walking away from the church and from God altogether um, because of that conditional love and that ache in their heart that they just can't get over and can't reconcile. And some of them never return. And I can't blame them for that. You know, like, like you can't blame them for walking away from something that's been so harmful. And so grief is a huge part of, of that process and, and the letting go and the, um, coming to terms with what may never be, you know? And and in some ways I feel like I'm still doing that. I've been out for almost seven years and I feel like I'm still like having to grieve the loss of what could have or should have been, you know? Um, I have a hard time like saying I actually miss my parents because I've been so hurt by how I've been treated um, and yet I do, there's things about our time together that I miss. I miss the holidays. I miss the things that, you know, that used to make our relationship special. And so it's, it just still is complicated um, of trying to, to, trying to mourn that loss of what could or should have been um, and yet may or may not ever be. And and how much do you hold on to that hope? And how much do you let go? And how much do you um, just kind of hold space in that tension, you know?
1: Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and that idea of hope and holding on to hope, it can feel almost sickening to try to to hold that hope and accept reality like like you don't want to give up on it. And yet it doesn't seem like it's actually ever going to happen. And yet you don't want to close off the possibility. And yet sometimes you have to set boundaries in order. Yeah. To be able to function, Mm -hmm. it's so complicated.
2: It is. It's so complicated. And boundaries are very important. You know, like that's a huge part of safety for you, sometimes physically, but sometimes just emotionally and spiritually to set a boundary and say, I can't do this anymore. This is not okay. The way that you're treating me, the way that um, the things you're saying to me, you have to set that boundary in order to be able to live your life and move on and to be happy. Otherwise you just stay kind of perpetually in that cycle of grief and trauma and you never get out of it. Um, And setting boundary kind of gives you some space between that and between being who you are and as a child of god and and being able to thrive in that and find joy and you know um yes i lost so much when i came out and i do still grieve that loss in different ways and yet you know um i would never trade where I am now for anything. Like I would never go back to that life. Um, I have never felt more free. I have never felt uh, more joy. I've never felt more alive than living out who I was actually meant to be. I feel like I came alive the day I came out and my family has missed the happiest years of my life. Um, you know, like I just, I feel like I have finally arrived into who I was meant to be all along. Um, so I would never go back to where I was before. I felt so suffocated and stifled. Um, and and being here has been so freeing. Even though it's been hard and I've had a lot of loss and I've had to um, work through a lot of that deconstruction of my theology, I still wouldn't change it because it's made me um, a better person. It's made me stronger. It's um, made me think differently. It's helped me to re- meet people that are so um, so real and authentic themselves. You know, you don't arrive at that place without having gone through some stuff. And so the people that you meet on this side have really been through a journey. And that has been a really rich and rewarding experience for me too, is to meet those other people that have walked similar
1: paths. So something that just came to mind is an email that I actually got from a listener just like a couple days ago yesterday, actually, who, who I won't give any details because this, this person isn't out, but it, I know there are a lot of people who listen to queerology who have these same questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read just a little chunk of this to you. I know nothing about the LGBT community. I have no clue where I stand. It's like every time I decide being gay is okay in God's eyes, I start to doubt it. Every time I decide it isn't okay in God's eyes, I doubt it. I want to be able to live like myself, but is that what God wants? I feel so lost, and I keep getting back to square one because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Mm. That idea of doing the wrong thing, I feel like rings so true to to where I was
2: 10, mm-hmm.
1: 15 years ago, mm-hmm. that, that utter fear mm-hmm. of... What's what is the right thing to do? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: I really want to please God. How do I do right. that? What is the right thing? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's
2: so heartbreaking because I uh, we've all been there. You know, like you genuinely want to do the right thing. You genuinely love God. You genuinely want to please God with your life, and so it's such a terrifying place to be, like. I, you feel stuck almost like I can't go back and I can't go forward and I don't know which way is out, you know, um, and when you're coming from that conservative place you, and you don't know anything of the LGBT faith community, you don't have any people to really connect to or to ask questions of. Um, and so you do feel very isolated in that struggle, I think, um, because you're afraid to reach out and, and be found out um, by the wrong person. And so it's a very scary and isolating place to be. Um, I think one of the guiding things that um, is important to look at is the fruit that's producing in your life. Um, Is being in the closet producing good fruit for you or is it producing bad fruit? Um, And most often time, it's not producing great fruit. You're feeling very conflicted. Uh, You feel a lot of fear. You're depressed. You're anxious. Um, all these things are not good fruit, you know? Um, and, and there certainly is a, a period of time walking through that journey where things aren't going to feel great. Um, cause there's a lot of stuff to deconstruct and work through, but there is good fruit waiting for you on the other side. Um, there, there is joy, there is freedom. There is, um, connection with healthy individuals that will celebrate who you are. There is, um, love from an unconditional God, um, that does not have boundaries or labels or conditions. Um, and I think those are important things to look at. And, and also to look at kind of, um, the, I also talk in the book about weighing like real fear versus false fear and trying to kind of break down the barriers that people feel around this fear of, um, God isn't going to love me if I'm gay. And because there are legitimate fears in the midst of coming out, you know, you may face legitimate loss in your family or in your job or in these different areas of your life. So there are legitimate fears and things to take into consideration. Um, But I contend that the way that God sees you and loves you is not one of them. And um, the point of this book is helping them get to that place where they realize that God does love them exactly as they are. And there's nothing they have to change or do about it. And once they can settle that for themselves, then they can make steps forward into um, what the coming out process might look like for them in their own journey.
1: That kind of leads to the to the big question of the book: is is how do people know when they're ready to come out? Because <laughs> that can be <laughs> a hard decision too. Of like, of, of when is it the right time? Because sometimes you just yeah. want to. Like you just want to come out, but other times it's like, I like it, it never feels like the quote unquote right time. Right time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think that's certainly a process as well. Like it's different for everybody and you can't give like one blanket answer. That's the right thing for everyone. You know, um, everybody's story is different. Everybody's circumstance is different. Everybody's, um, process is different. Um, but I love the quote, um, and I have it in, in the book that says, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And I think you reach that point where staying closeted, um, or coming out, you know, the risk, the, it, it tips the balance, um, and, and the risk becomes worth it and worth walking into. Um, but I do think it's important to, Take a holistic inventory before you get to that point, and look at you know, am I physically ready? Do I physically feel safe to do this? Do I have a safe place to live? Do I have the financial means to take care of myself? All these things of, are you physically ready and safe to be able to handle it? Um, are you emotionally ready? Have you you know? I encourage people to go to therapy and see a therapist to walk through these things of. Um, to work through their theology, to work through how the conflict they're feeling inside, to work through um, these things that may have come up in their childhood or that they're dealing with now, therapy is a great way to kind of emotionally prepare yourself for for what is to come. You know, um, are you are you are you mentally ready? Have you done the theological work to know what the Bible really says about you and um, be able to accept yourself? I think that's a huge thing. And we've got lots of great resources for that now um, to be able to kind of help guide you um, to be able to be mentally kind of bridge that divide between your head and your heart of what you've been taught to believe and what's actually true. Um, and then, you know, I talk again about are you emotionally ready? Do you have this the strength, the community support, the the people around you that will be there to walk this journey with you as you go through it? So I think that's kind of really the, this, you know, chapter four really deals with a lot of that holistic approach of, of looking at all four of these aspects in a little bit deeper way and ask, giving just practical examples, practical questions to ask yourself to know if you're ready and in a place that this is the time for you.
1: Yeah. I feel like. When we come out before we're we're ready, or before we're safe, or before we've done some of that work, that's it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can make it that much harder. It can make it that much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, of the collateral having to-
2: damage is greater.
1: Yes, exactly. If you're
2: not adequately prepared, and not that we can sometimes you can't control it. Somebody outs you, and there it is, and there's nothing you can do about it. But when it is in your control, I I recommend that people take that time to adequately prepare rather than rushing into it because it will lessen that collateral damage um, and and the mess that you have to deal with post coming out.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's that idea of like once you realize your. Queer any of those things, there can feel that pressure to then come out and almost like a shame of being in the closet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm constantly telling people, no, there's nothing wrong with being in the closet.
2: Mm-hmm. You will know when you're ready right If you don't feel like it, then you're not ready yet if you if you're feeling that intimidation and that fear, yeah, then you're not ready. Take your time. People so often try to rush this or, or people try to rush you, you know, the the peer pressure of, well, this should happen now when you need to tell this person and this, you know, no, you don't. This is a very personal part of your life that you don't have to share with anybody until you're ready. Um, nobody else has to pay the cost except for you. So you, you wait and you do it when you feel ready, when you feel safe, when you feel confident and not
1: before. Yeah. I mean, yeah you mentioned the fact that there are so many resources out there now for people who are trying to <laughs> wrestle with the theology and, mm-hmm. and figure out like all of these things just off the top of your head what are a few of those resources obviously besides this book which i would recommend to everyone like whether you've come out or not like it's so good some of those resources for people who are kind of maybe looking for uh, some added help
2: yeah I I am so grateful that we have the resources now because those, you know, I'm sure you wished you would have had those resources 10, 15 years ago. And I know I wish I would have had, you know, like this stuff wasn't around when we were coming out. And I'm so grateful now that so much of this is available. Um, And I will say that in my book, it's not only for, I mean, it's primarily for the LGBT person, but at the end of every chapter, I do have a section for allies and parents as well to help them know, like how to help your loved one navigate this particular season in their coming out process. So there is that as well. Um, But I really, I mean, there's, as far as books on, you know, theologically to help reconcile your faith and sexuality, I often recommend um, Unclobber by Colby Martin. I recommend God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. Um, I recommend Changing Our Mind by David Gushy. Those are all really great ones that will help you kind of um, deconstruct some of what you've been taught to believe about the Bible. Um, I love that podcasts like Queerology are available. I think that has been so helpful to so many people because not everybody can just, um, pick up a book and read. Some people need, um, something to listen to or need the community that is there. So I'm so, I recommend, you know, Queerology and, um, Kevin Garcia's podcast a lot. I recommend, um, even musicians. Um, like um, Tash Holmes and Benjamin Grace that are kind of creating new spaces for music um, in that are outside the evangelical realm. Um, I think, as far as organizations go, um, Q Christian Fellowship is doing fantastic work with, um, giving a space for LGBT people of faith to come. And they do an annual conference every year and it's, um, the largest, you know, LGBT faith gathering in the world and people come from all over the world. And it's a great place to, um, it's a great starting point for people that, um, are just needing to plug in with the community and figure out where to go because the spectrum of of workshops offered and things that are presented that weekend cover pretty much all the bases from parents to allies to people coming out to um, marriage and sex and ethics and uh, really anywhere along that spectrum you'll find something at that conference for you and so i love recommending that to people and it's a great way for them to um, realize that they're not alone and be around other people that um, have walked similar faith journeys to theirs and um, have uh, and also engage with um, parents who are affirming and pastors who are affirming and allies that maybe you've never met somebody like that before. And to walk into a space where um, it's so welcoming and that love abounds is really life changing for a lot of people. Um and I know it was life changing for me the first time that I went. You know, it was very eye opening and life changing to realize um I was far less alone than I thought. And and that was very healing for me.
1: Yeah. I I know that I the first time I went I was in tears like pretty much the entire yeah. weekend. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was Yeah. And I hadn't yeah, it was it was so powerful it um, is it, there's just
2: yeah. no, there's really no way to describe it until you've experienced no. it yeah. and it just really is very life changing so i i mean on my website i have a pretty extensive list of of books i recommend and podcasts and musicians and organizations that um are very helpful and i try to kind of you know bridge across Um, a pretty wide spectrum of of places for people to get plugged in. So they can always check that out on my website as well. They're looking for additional resources.
1: So how can people get a copy of your book and how can people find you?
2: Well, you can order it now. It is out today on Amazon. So you can certainly grab it there or um, certainly off of, you know, Barnes and Noble or at your local bookstore. Um, And you can find me on social media at Amber N as in Nicole, Amber N Cantorna across all platforms. And then my website is ambercantorna.com. And I encourage people to check it out. We are launching our tour and tour dates are being released today um, for our national unashamed tour. So I will be coming hopefully to a city near you and we'll be discussing some of these topics more in depth and doing Q and A and all that. So certainly check out my website for um, event listings as well. And what areas I'll be in when
1: oh that's so exciting and uh, yes everyone like if if amber is near you even if she's far from you like it's (laughs) worth driving (laughs) uh thank you so much for joining me and for writing this book It's so needed and and it's one that i know will be a go-to recommendation for me to so many people because it's it's needed it's needed thank you So. so
2: much for having me it's always a
1: pleasure yeah likewise be sure to pick up your copy of *Unashamed*, a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians, wherever you get your books. And check out Amber over on her website, ambercantorna.com, and across social media at Amber and Cantorna Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from over 230 Patreon supporters To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air, head over to matthiasrobberscom slash support A really easy way to help support Queerology is by leaving a rating and a review You can do that right in your podcast app or go to matthiasrobberscom slash review and it'll take you right there As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi reach out. I'll get back to you And until next week, y'all, bye.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.